Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and I'm so delighted to be with you tonight as we are having uh, an important discussion uh, right now. People who see um, abortion as uh, a horrible wrong in our world are trying to make decisions because we often have to interact with organizations and perhaps even will encounter medications that in some way are either directly or indirectly related to um, abortion. And so we're going to have a discussion tonight, a debate of sorts, between two people who are experts on this topic. And even better than that, I'm going to subject myself. I'm going to decrease that Chris date may increase here. And Chris is going to moderate this exciting debate and introduce um, our speakers to you tonight. But I just want to tell you how much I so appreciate all of you for showing up, for viewing this debate at any point. I would just invite you, whoever you are, to just open your mind to what the uh, opposition has to say on this issue. I'd also like to say that we appreciate you coming, and if you're a person who is interested in higher theological education, uh, one of the reasons that we exist as a YouTube channel and a podcast is because we represent knowledge of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. It is online, and you can get your degree sitting right there at home. Many people had to rush around and figure out how to do that whenever COVID hit, but Trinity has was already ready for that. We are 100% distance learning, and whether you want to become a professional minister or are a believer who wants to go deeper in the things of God, we would be excited to serve you as a non-denominational but theologically conservative institution. And so I just want to say, though I'm not introducing them, I'm so appreciative to our speakers, and with that, I'll turn it over to Chris. Thanks, Braxton. Um, welcome, everybody, to the debate today. Um, I, I want to begin by thanking Braxton for giving me the opportunity to moderate this debate. Uh, evidently, he wants his channel to lose all of its popularity by having my ugly mug on the screen as often as possible. So I'm happy to help him accomplish that goal. Um, as Braxton mentioned, my name is Chris Date. I am a professor of Bible and theology at Trinity. Um, in fact, I'm just about to begin a THD in theological apologetics at Trinity. So I kind of like the uh, guy in all the commercials for the hair, the hair treatment. I am not just a professor. I'm also a student. Um, so I'd encourage you to check out Trinity Seminary at trinitysem.edu. My personal YouTube channel is Theopologetics. Uh, and there I host a wide variety of conversations on topics having in any way, shape or form something to do with theology and apologetics. But I'm more well known for my work with the ministry Rethinking Hell. You can find that ministry at rethinkinghell.com. You can find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash rethinkinghell. Uh, as part of that ministry, we are conservative evangelicals committed to the authority and infallibility of Scripture, and we have become convinced that it teaches something other than the dominant view of hell. But that's, of course, not the topic of our discussion today, so let me tell you a little bit about the topic of the discussion today. We have now been in a post-COVID world for something like 15 months, roughly, thereabouts. Um, and a few weeks back, I don't remember the exact time frame, um, people were be, began to be encouraged to receive one of the COVID-19 vaccines that have, have been. And uh, those of us who have not yet received the vaccine have experienced at least some degree of pressure, even bullying at times by people who are very passionately, understandably passionate that we ought to be loving our neighbor and doing the best for our own health and the health of others 
matters by receiving the vaccine. Um, but some of us have been reluctant, reluctant to receive the vaccine, particularly those of us who are Christians, because of its uh, correlation, its, its relationship, however loose that relationship is, um, with abortion murdered in their uh, wombs, their mother's wombs. And so uh, I have been very keen to hear a debate like the one that we're about to have today, in which one bioethicist will be arguing that it is, in fact, immoral to receive the vaccine precisely because of that relationship with abortion. And the other participant will be uh, saying that it is moral to receive the vaccine, that its relationship, however loose that might be, to abortion does not, um, should not motivate us to not receive the vaccine. Um, so this is a, a, a debate I've been interested in hosting. It's why I reached out to Braxton and asked him if he'd be interested in having the debate on Trinity Radio, and I'm super excited that he accepted the invitation. Um, before I introduce the participants, I do, I do want to um, issue a word of encouragement and discouragement to viewers uh, and even debate participants if there's somebody that needs to hear this. Um, there is a whole lot of pressure in today's world, in today's post-COVID world. There has been what I have perceived anyway to be a lot of bullying and mistreatment uh, between even brothers and sisters in Christ because they are zealous in, zealously in favor of receiving the vaccine and they, and they go above and beyond merely encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ to receive the vaccine to actually bullying, manipulating, um, demeaning, mistreating other Christians. And I just want to encourage everybody watching and all of us participating um, to step back and allow the Holy Spirit to work in the consciences of his people, um, some of whom he may convict to receive the vaccine and some of whom he may convict not to receive the vaccine, possibly because of the topic of the debate today. So please, my appeal to those of you who are watching is to extend grace and love and mercy and charity and tolerance to brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with you, whatever your stance is on the vaccine because of the issue that we're going to be discussing today. So I hope that that will be um, received uh, well and taken seriously. And with that out of the way, let me go ahead and introduce the participants who will be uh, engaging in this important debate. First of firstly, um, the thesis of today's debate is, the, is taking the COVID-19 vaccine immoral because fetal tissue was used in treatment? Um, Dave Brennan will be affirming that proposition, that it is indeed immoral to take the COVID-19 vaccines on the grounds that tissue from aborted babies were used in their development. Mr. Brennan and what I think is his wife, Anandi, founded Brefos.org, a ministry project of the Center for Bioethical Reform UK. Brefos is the Greek word for baby used in the first chapter of Luke for the yet unborn John the Baptist when he leapt in his mother's womb as well as in the second chapter of Luke for the newborn baby Jesus, an indication that God sees the unbiled as utterly equal in value and status to all human bearers of the divine image, both pre-born and post-born. Uh, and so accordingly, the burden of Brefos is to help the UK church to see unborn children as God sees them and to respond to their plight with Christ-like compassion. Starting in 2018, Brefos has helped dozens of churches to teach accurately and biblically on abortion, in many cases for the first time, and to bring the, and, and to, uh, and to participating in their active response. Uh, Mr. Brennan, thank you so much for participating in the debate today. It's such an honor. Thanks for hosting this. 
taking the negative in today's debate will be Bruce Blackshaw. He will be denying that it is immoral to take the vaccines despite the history of their development um, involving fetal tissue. Mr. Blackshaw is a PhD student of philosophy and bioethics at the University of Birmingham, where he is working toward a dissertation in which he'll critique psychological accounts of personhood. He's also an associate research fellow at the BIOS Center, a bioethics research institute in London, and he's the co-founder of a successful software company that specializes in encryption technology. Mr. Blackshaw has published articles arguing against infanticide in at least two peer-reviewed academic journals, the journal Bioethics, as well as the New Bioethics, a multidisciplinary journal of biotechnology and the body. Uh, Mr. Blackshaw calls himself the Philosophical Apologist, and he blogs at philosophicalapologist.com, and he lives in Australia with his wife and two teenage kids. Mr. Blackshaw, thank you as well so much for participating in today's debate. Thanks. Thanks so much for the invitation. It's great to be here. With those introductions out of the way, let me format that format of today's debate, and then I'll say a brief word of prayer, and we'll get it. We're going to begin with a 15-minute opening statement affirming the thesis by Dave Brennan. That will be followed by Bruce Blackshaw's 15-minute opening statement denying the thesis. Brennan will follow up with a seven-and-a-half-minute rebuttal, and then Blackshaw will follow up with a seven-and-a-half-minute rebuttal. Then we'll turn things over to a period of 30 minutes of open discussion between Brennan and Blackshaw. This will be mostly free-flowing discussion between uh, Mr. Brennan and Blackshaw, but I'm in here and there to sort of move the conversation along if it gets stuck in rabbit holes. And then after that open discussion, uh, Brennan will return for a five-minute closing statement and Blackshaw for his five-minute closing of statement as well. And then we'll turn things over to you, our audience, for 30 minutes roughly of questions and answers. So what I'd like you to do as you're watching this debate is as the debate is taking place, post your questions for either uh, Dave Brennan or Bruce Blackshaw, and please indicate which of those two participants you'd like your question directed toward. Post those questions in the chat. Braxton will be monitoring. Um, we'll put the questions up on the screen in the audience Q&A period at the end of the conversation. Now, if you really want to get Braxton's attention because of the way that YouTube chat handles super chats, use a super chat to ask your question and that will move your question toward the top of the list and make it more likely that Braxton will see your question and give it to me to ask our participants in the Q&A period of time. So this really is a, part of a debate we want you, the viewing audience, to participate in. Um, we just need you to be posting those questions in the chat so Braxton can uh, grab them all and um, be posing them to our debate participants at the end. So with that out of the way, let me say a brief word of prayer and then we'll turn things over to our participants to begin the debate. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so very much for the opportunity to um, watch these two debates, uh, debate participants discuss this important question. Um, whatever each of us individuals watching this debate end up feeling convicted about when it's over. I just pray that you would help us to treat other people who disagree with us with love and mercy, kindness, charity, and tolerance. This is an important issue, but it's not one over which we need to be clawing at each other's throats uh, over. And so please give us a give us soft hearts and a desire to work together as the body of Christ to make the most well-informed decisions on this and related topics that we possibly can. And I pray that you would give our debate participants today um, wisdom and insight, eloquence, help them to articulate the uh, their side of the debate as eloquently and as compellingly as possible so that those of us watching 
on the uh, edges of our proverbial seats. We'll be able to be, make the best informed position, best informed decision that we can possibly make. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amen. So with that out of the way, we'll turn things over to Dave Brennan for his 15-minute opening statement affirming today's debate thesis. And I will start your 15 minutes, Dave, as soon as you begin speaking. Thank you so much, Chris, and good evening, uh, Bruce, and thank you, Braxton, and good evening to everyone watching. Uh, before I launch into my argument, I just want to take a minute just to clarify the facts so that we're all on the same page, what we mean vaccines using fetal tissue. Now, uh, here in the UK, where I am, all three vaccines which have been available and uh, people have been accessing have had some connection with a cell line called HEK293. Now, that is a cell line which is derived directly from the kidney of a baby girl aborted in the 1970s in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, that's uh, a cell line which the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine was developed in and tested on. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine weren't developed in that cell line, but they were um, tested on that cell line. So here in the UK, all three vaccines have made use of a fetal cell line, that is to say, a cell line derived directly from an aborted baby. Uh, there are other vaccines out there that haven't made use of a fetal cell line, CureVac being one example. Um, I can't speak for all the nations in the world. The situation may be different in Australia and America. So I just want to be clear, I'm not objecting morally to all vaccines, but only to those that use this fetal cell line or other fetal cell lines. I hope that's clear. Do ask questions if it's not. Um, I wish to make the case that how we respond to how we respond, sorry, to uh, vaccines that have made use of this, this fetal cell line or other fetal cell lines, how we respond to these vaccines is how we respond to the practice that produces these vaccines, namely the harm of vital organs from human babies. And I wish to make it very clear that practice continues today. So how we respond to fetal cell line vaccines is how we respond to organizing from babies. Now, in making this case, I thought it'd be helpful to take three of the most common justifications for receiving the vaccine and show where I think they fall down. So first, you get this idea that in the case of this particular cell line, HEK293, talking about only a very remote connection with evil. It was just one abortion many decades ago. It said the connection is so slight uh, now as to be insignificant. The vaccine is permissible. Um, analogies used here include uh, train tracks, for example, in the States, down by slaves in centuries past. Is it wrong to take a train that runs along those tracks today? Uh, surely we can condemn that past slavery, but make use of the fruit left behind. It would be a waste not to. Uh, I'm sure the slaves wouldn't hold it against us if we did. Now, the problem with using an analogy such as this uh, is it suggests that organ harvesting is a thing of the past. If I can make only one thing memorable uh, in this whole debate, I would like it to be this. Organ harvesting from humans continues today in full force. It's happening today. Uh, before we look into that, I just want to question this uh, subjective idea of remoteness. Um, this baby girl, uh, aborted in the Netherlands in the 1970s, had she been allowed to live, she would be in her 40s today. She may well have had children of her own. It's hardly ancient history. There may be viewers listening in 
today who were born in 1973 themselves. This lady, uh, Johanna, we've imagined her name was, a common uh, Dutch name at the time, uh, with the intention of honoring human dignity as an image bearer of God. Johanna would have been your contemporary. So it's hardly ancient history. But more importantly, where did we get this idea from that evil diminishes over time? I don't see anything in the Bible that suggests that. But the main point I wish to make here is this. The, the idea of remoteness is simply in ignorance of the facts. Organ harvesting is not history. It happens today. Both the baby genocide and organ harvesting, uh, the, the very thing that made HEK 293 possible back then, continues today. There's been no, it's happening in the same labs, the same universities, the same countries that it happened back then in. Um, give you some examples. As recently as 2015, in China, nine babies were delivered alive in their sacks uh, to be dissected. The researchers were after lung tissue. This was 2015. Uh, in the end, they used tissue just from one uh, baby girl, lung tissue, uh, to make a, a new fetal line called Walvax 2. Uh, here in the UK, the Cardiff Fetal Tissue Bank has been collecting organs for reach uh, from babies who were electively aborted. Uh, just in the last week or so, perhaps you've seen, it came to light that the University of Pittsburgh in America, uh, you can read the study in the journal Nature, um, has scientists that describe scalping five-month-old aborted babies to stitch onto the backs of lab rats. Uh, and I'm reading directly now, they wrote about how they cut the scalps from the heads and backs of the babies, scraping off the excess fat under the baby skin before stitching it onto the rats. They even included photos of the baby growing out of the scalps. Each scalp belonged to a little Pennsylvania baby whose head would have grown those very same hairs if he or she were not aborted for experiments with lab rats. Now, in all honesty, I do not know how we can countenance receiving the fruit from such barbaric practice, um, even if it was from experiments 40 years ago, as opposed to the ones done yesterday. Um, so I'd like to know, perhaps when he speaks, uh, he could share with us, I'd like to know if Dr. Blackshaw would be prepared to take a vaccine made with the fetal cell line, Alvax 2, the one for which nine human babies were dissected in 2015 in China. Would he accept a vaccine developed in that cell line? Uh, if he would, what message does he think that would give to the Chinese regime and to others who continue such practice today? Uh, if he would not, uh, why the discrepancy? Why accept a fetal cell line from longer ago, but not a more recent one? Uh, the second justification that's commonly heard is this claim that since no babies were killed for the creation of fetal cell lines, uh, we're not encouraging any additional abortion by making use of the cell lines. Uh, it's as if we stumbled across an adult who had been murdered, uh, not for their organs, but we took the opportunity to use their organs to save lives. Uh, the taking of organs is neither here nor there, it's argued, when it comes to the original wrongful killing, which we, of course, all roundly condemn. But again, the problem here is that it's in ignorance of the facts. There is collaboration between the abortionists and those wanting the organs. I hope I can make this distinction clear. It's true that in most cases, babies are not killed for their organs. They were going to be killed anyway tragically. But it is not true that they were going to be killed in this way, in such a torturous manner. 
Planned Parenthood in America have been found to admit that they sometimes alter the way in which they kill babies in order to preserve certain organs that have been ordered. The babies delivered by water bag abortion in China were deliberately kept alive as close to dissection point as possible. Ideally for the researchers, they'd still have been alive when dissection began. Freshness of their organs. You can read the official write-up of the Wildbats to cell line. There are pains to point out that animals used in the process were treated humanely, given anesthetic, but no such mercy was afforded the human babies. Friends, what we're talking about here is babies treated worse than lab rats. How can we even countenance drawing benefit from such a practice when it continues? So no, babies aren't generally killed for their organs, but they do endure additional specialized torture for their organs. Is that an irrelevance? Is that something we're happy to tolerate since they were gonna be killed anyway? I think we would shudder at the idea of cutting open criminals on death row alive and without anesthetic uh, for their organs, you know, because they were gonna be killed anyway. Why do we take innocent unborn children so much less seriously than adult criminals on death row. Is that God's heart? Is he pleased with this attitude? Third, final uh, justification we often hear, this argument that we live in a fallen world, moral taint is with us, it's the water we swim in, it's the air we breathe. We, we just have to accept that some level of proximity with such things is inevitable. There's nothing we can do, we can't escape it. Otherwise, we'll just end up living in a desert, um, cut off from all civilization. Now, in some senses, in some cases, this is true. We can't get away from all proximity with evil, even some involuntary or reluctant participation. A good example would be taxes. We're clearly commanded in the Bible to pay our taxes, even though some of them are spent on evil things. See, that's a choice we have. Biblically, it's very clear. We're to pay our taxes. Um, but what we're talking about here this evening is not a compulsory or unavoidable thing. The producers, the vaccine producers, didn't have to use fetal cell lines. Some of them didn't. Uh, CureVac, for example, didn't use them. Valneva, I think, is not quite finished yet, but so far has not used fetal cell lines, to my knowledge. It's, it's unnecessary to use fetal cell lines. You can make vaccines in other ways. And we don't have to take these vaccines. It's a choice. We can take vaccines or we can take no vaccine at all. So the question is not whether it's possible to avoid this. The question is whether we're willing to pay the price to avoid this. And where possible, according to the knowledge we have available, we should seek to invest in good practices and avoid or discourage evil practices. Uh, but as I close, let me just suggest reasons why I think it's especially important uh, in this case to, to do our research and to make a principled stand. So firstly, child sacrifice more than, for example, animal welfare or almost anything you can think of, child sacrifice is especially grievous to the heart of God. Biblically, I could show you example after example. It evokes in the heart of God a, a response almost like nothing else you can see anywhere in Scripture. It ought to weigh on us as heavily as it weighs on God. It ought to grieve us. We ought to find it horrendous. I don't think we ought to think of how close we can get to it or, or how much we can benefit from it. Secondly, uh, in a way that is not the case for almost any other injustice you can think of today, baby genocide and organ harvesting from babies enjoys almost universal acceptance worldwide. 
It's a multi-state sponsored, financially comfortable genocide. And it's baked into so much of the global medical establishment with organizations such as the World Health Organization encouraging it and accelerating it. It's um, important to bring an end to other injustices, for example, sweatshops, you know, we ought to do what we can there. But the good news is this, almost everyone already agrees that sweatshops are wrong. People are doing things to end them. However, when it comes to the baby genocide, the consensus is on the other side of things. And so in the words attributed to Bonhoeffer, not to speak is to speak. Our silence uh, just steps back and, and, and gives permission to the ongoing atrocity. We need to take this opportunity. We need to take every opportunity to go out of our way to expose this injustice, to stand apart from it and to stand against it. I confess that I am saddened that it seems that for most Christians today, uh, the mainstream messaging, uh, what they're seeing in the abortion-tainted vaccine uh, is a way out or a route back to normal, instead of seeing here a great opportunity for us as Christ's people to stand apart, to be salt and light, to reject the promises and the principles and the practices of this world in favor of the world to come. So my case is that how we respond to fetal cell line vaccines is how we respond to organ harvesting from babies, which continues today. As Christians, I do not see how we can. Thank you. All right. Thank you for that, Mr. Brennan. Um, Mr. Blackshaw, it's now your opportunity. And, and by the way, side note, um, uh, Mr. Brennan, you called Mr. Blackshaw, Dr. Blackshaw. I think Bruce would say he's not, he hasn't yet earned that title. So he's, he's a PhD student. Me. Sorry. Uh, for whatever Sorry. That's worth. I that's, only remember that he right. was much more qualified than me. I must have translated that into doctor. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time for that very reason. Uh, all right. So, uh, Mr. Blackshaw, the, the microphone is now your your 15-minute timer as soon as you begin. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. I, I do hope to have my PhD this time next year, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, th thanks again for the opportunity to contribute. <clears throat> I know that Dave and I both uh, agree on the most un important underlying issue, the immorality of abortion. It's something I've been strongly opposed to for many years, and I've dedicated my PhD at the University of Birmingham. It's on the ethics of abortion. Uh, so I'm spending considerable time and money, a large chunk of my life, writing and speaking about uh, the immorality of abortion. So, and and I know Dave is doing the same with uh, Brefos. So. I think we're agreed there. Uh, abortion is a gross violation of human rights. Uh, it's staggering how many abortions there are worldwide annually, roughly 56 million, more or less. Uh, a lot of countries don't really keep an accurate count. So in the 21st century, that's a billion abortions. That's a billion human beings. For all the progress that uh, our civilization has made with regard to slavery, poverty, and healthcare, the scale of abortion, I think, overwhelms it. Now, let's just quickly take a look at COVID. COVID, as we all know, is a worldwide pandemic. It's killed about three and a half million people so far. Like many of you, I've got uh, friends who've caught COVID, some who are still long COVID. 
uh, friends who've lost parents and grandparents from COVID. I know people uh, who've lost their jobs. Uh, millions have been confined to lockdowns. Uh, COVID is the most serious threat I recall in my lifetime, and it's not going away soon. Ultimately, to deal with COVID, we need population immunity to reduce its spread. Uh, if we get population immunity by allowing the disease itself to spread, millions more people are going to die. Healthcare system collapse. We're also going to end up with tens, maybe hundreds of millions of people with long COVID symptoms that uh, persist for many months. So allowing it to spread isn't really an option. It's going to cause long-term health problems for many millions of people. Uh, many millions of people who need treatment for other illnesses won't get it and so on. So that option, I think, will be a global disaster. So the only other option for a return to uh, something approaching normality within the foreseeable future is a global vaccination program. It covers uh, maybe 95% of the population. We don't really know. So that brings us to the current vaccines that have been developed. Uh, and in, here in Australia, we've got the same three vaccines available as in the UK. I think it's, it is astonishing how quickly these have been produced. It's an amazing scientific achievement. However, as most of us know now, these have been produced with the help of fetal cell lines. Just quickly, a cell line is a cell culture that's got special characteristics, unlike our own cells. Some are immortal. Uh, they can replicate indefinitely, providing an indefinite uh, supply, unlimited supply of cells, because our cells can only do this 40 to 60 times. Immortal cells can get that way naturally, or it can be induced by tweaking its genome. The supply, importantly, for vaccine development, its supply of cell lines is a pure population. That's really important for consistency in repeated experiments. They can be exhaustively tested for safety and efficacy. So cell lines have revolutionized uh, research. They're used in vaccine development, drug testing, therapeutic protein production. Uh, the most famous one you've probably heard. Cells cancer, 1,000 studies published in <clears throat> hey Bruce, Bruce, I just wanted to let you know that you're kind of um, uh, <clears throat> uh, glitching out on us a little bit. You're kind of coming in and out. Originally uh, developed in cell. Okay. Okay, you look you look like you're back with us Sorry now. It's okay. Um, okay. The last thing you were doing was kind of explaining what a cell line is, and you said that it can be uh, some of them can be reproduced seemingly indefinitely. If I have that right. Well, and then, and then he mentioned, he um, started to say something about the most popular example or something like that. Okay. Uh, right, and I'll make sure you have an extra cells, 60 so. seconds. Bruce. Okay. I, I was probably talking about HeLa cells, which are the most famous line obtained from Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks' cancer without her consent. Um, polio vaccine was developed in cells taken from monkey kidneys, and they have to be continually replenished. Uh, a problem with early, early polio vaccines was because of this continual replenishment, uh, a lot of uh, polio vaccines for about 10 years were infected with a monkey virus 
And there's probably 30 million people in the US who've actually got that virus. We don't really know what the consequences of that is. Uh, it was huge. So um, human cell lines were a massive advance in terms of scientific research. But uh, as we uh, a Swedish woman. Am I glitching out still? You were there for a second, but I think you're back again. All right. Okay. All right. That brings us to COVID vaccines, which use a cell line called HEK293. Cell line is derived from the fetus of uh, that was aborted in 1972 in the Netherlands. Uh, all Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca, which are used here in Australia and in the UK, all use that cell line. Uh, AstraZeneca one uses it to make the weakened virus used in the vaccine, whereas Pfizer and Moderna, their MRA vaccines, uh, they use it in the testing phase, not in development. So they all, in some form or other, as Dave has said, they use replicated fetal cells in development. These aren't actual cells from these fetuses, but they are exact replicas. So what should we who are anti-abortion do about it? Uh, I don't think the course of action is obvious. Abortion is an incredibly serious moral issue because there's a clear vac uh, link with vaccines. We need to examine that closely. Uh, criteria we should use for making this decision. We have obligations with regard to abortion, with uh, obligations with regard to loving and protecting our neighbour uh, by preventing the spread of infection, bringing this pandemic to an end because there's so much suffering involved with that. How do we balance these obligations? That's a tricky thing to do. Um, in my view, we need to assess how complicit we are in the original evil act that we are going to benefit from. The abortion of a fetus and removal of tissue without consent of the fetus and possibly the parents. The Catholic Church has uh, invented some important distinctions in this area. Uh, one talks about formal cooperation with evil, which is where ailment or aiding of the evil act, which is not the case here, I don't believe. Material cooperation is where it gets complicated, pursuing the good without approving of the original evil act, which we don't do. We don't approve of the original evil act, but uh, to what degree are we still cooperating with that act? Here are two good questions to ask. How causally close are we to the original, the original evil act? A doctor who refers a patient to someone who she knows is incompetent is still complicit in the harm done, even though uh, the doctor did not formally cooperate with the evil of harming a patient. Transplant tourism in China, where organs have been known to be taken from pr political prisoners, does encourage the evil act by increasing demand. Second question, uh, why are we materially cooperating with the evil act in the first place? Is the, reason, is the reason sufficiently important? Are there any viable alternatives? So in terms of uh, how the degree to which we're materially cooperating, the cell line vaccines were created using aborted fetuses that weren't aborted for these, this purpose. The actual cells are duplicates that uh, are many times removed from the original cells. We're not we personally who are taking it are not involved in the production of vaccines that utilize these cell lines. 
I don't see that taking these vaccines will encourage more abortions in itself. So causally, we're very remote from the original evil act when we benefit. In terms of necessity, uh, the situation with the pandemic is, is very grave and we're having viable alternatives right now. So in my view and in the view of the Catholic Church, we can take the vaccine. It's likely to save many lives and a lot of suffering if we do. But if we do that, I think we have some obligations. We can't let our acceptance of the vaccine convey the message that we approve of aborted fetuses being used in this way. We need to voice our opposition to the use of these cell lines. We need to write to our governments, ask that to us that it, they use their power to influence manufacturers not to use these cell lines. We should avoid the more morally compromised vaccines if possible. For example, the AstraZeneca vaccine. I do think it's legitimate to refuse the vaccine because of its link with an evil act. But if you do, I think you also have certain obligations. Uh, the research is becoming increasingly clear that uh, you are far more likely to catch and transmit the virus to others if you're not vaccinated. There are many vulnerable people in our communities, have friends who are transplant recipients. Uh, the vaccine doesn't really work for them because of their uh, immunes. If the virus is widespread, you may need to, if you choose not to take the vaccine, modify your behaviour to minimise the chances of passing COVID on to others. Maybe you should wear a mask or perhaps get regular COVID tests to ensure you're not carrying the virus. If you're a churchgoer, perhaps you should wear a mask to church to protect the most vulnerable. <clears throat> you don't really, we really don't want people to die or become severely ill as a result of our choice not to vaccinate. And if we get ill ourselves, we'll also add to the burden on the healthcare system. <clears throat> it's important to be consistent. <clears throat> Many vaccines utilize WI38, so obviously uh, people refusing vaccines for this reason need to do their due diligence and avoid these uh, vaccines as well as COVID vaccines. That does involve difficult choices. If you have children, the MMR vaccine, for example, uses WI38. Um, WI38 is used very widely in scientific research. so it would be a good thing to investigate what drugs or treatments have been developed this and other fetal cell lines. I think whether or not we take the vaccine, we all should be vigorously opposed to abortion and do what we can to raise awareness of this human rights violation, which is on a massive scale. <clears throat> it is an evil that aborted fetuses have been used to create these cell lines, and it's a far, far worse evil that abortion was legal so that these abort uh, fetuses could be aborted in the first place. And that it still is 50 years later. Thank you. All right. Thank you for that, Mr. Blackshaw. Um, it is now the part of the debate where we, uh, where the participants will rebut each other's opening uh, arguments, beginning with Dave Brennan. So, Mr. Brennan, I hand the microphone back to you for your seven and a half minute rebuttal to, um, to Mr. Blackshaw. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Bruce, for outlining your position there. Um, of course, I, I share, we, you're absolutely right, we, we're both um, clearly opposed to abortion on that, we agree, and uh, we both share a concern for those who, who die due to um, COVID-19 or indeed any illness, and, and protecting um, innocent life uh, is, a, is a Christian duty wherever possible. 
Um, however, I do wish to question this idea, and I think it's something of a starting point, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, for your entire argument, um, that because of the seriousness of this particular pandemic, um, it's, it sounds as if you're saying that we, we must do all that we can to stop this pandemic at all costs, even to the point of doing something which may be morally objectionable. Um, phrases such as saying it's not an option to let it just go through the um, through the worldwide community. Um, now, to say that something is not an option, um, and do correct me if I'm wrong, suggests that um, by, by any and every means, we're going to stop it, even if that means moral compromise. And I do believe that's what's um, happening here. Now, I can agree absolutely that we must do all we can to prevent disease, to treat disease, uh, but I do not agree that we can go to the extent of doing something or encouraging something that is morally questionable or wrong in order to do that. I do not believe, and I don't see this anywhere in scripture, that um, we're given permission to compromise morally in order to escape a, some kind of natural disaster. Now, I, I'm, I'm very happy to go into the question of whether or not this might be seen as judgment from God and so on, um, but regardless of where we land on that, I don't see in scripture um, anyone being commended for, for taking ethical shortcuts in order to prevent suffering per se. As preventing suffering is generally a good thing, but when we're not, uh, we're not entitled or um, we're not allowed to uh, take moral shortcuts in order to do that. I think we're, we're drifting dangerously into a kind of utilitarian argument where the, the ends justify the means. And I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with that ethically because I don't see that um, as an option. So I just want to question that sort of utilitarian uh, approach. Uh, things may well be serious, but we can't let that bend our ethics. I guess an example for me would be, uh, you look at the first chapter of Daniel, either um, these these friends um, decide not to take the king's uh, meat, the, the food from the royal table, even though there's a very high likelihood that it will cost them their lives and their guardian, their steward, it will cost his life. So we're talking a very real risk of the loss of otherwise healthy people, and they're taking a risk even with someone else's health. Um, but that doesn't even sort of, that doesn't sway their judgment at all. Um, ethically, under God, they know what's right. They take a principled stand and God honors it. Of course, later in the book of Daniel, um, there are other decisions facing these young men. And um, they even get to the point of saying, well, look, God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. So I think, there's a, uh, to my mind, a very dangerous line of thinking has made its way into mainstream Christian ethics, which is that the outcomes can justify the means. And it's about weighing outcomes and reducing suffering. I don't think that's a Christian way of of doing things. Um, I'd like to come back to this question of, of how complicit we are um, with the with the uh, the act of evil, the abortion. Now, I think we're in agreement that in terms of the abortion that happened back in the 70s, we're, we're not complicit. I agree with you entirely. We're not causally complicit. We're not in any way complicit, in fact, with something that happened 40 years ago. It happened before I was born. I had nothing to do with it. And regardless of what I do with material that came out of that, I'm still not complicit in it. However, my contention, my argument is, that we are complicit in the ongoing evil act of organ harvesting today. Because when we take the vaccine that's used this kind of technology, the, the, these research methods, we are communicating that we tolerate. We tolerate the fruit of such practice. And by doing that, by normalizing it, by, by showing ourselves willing consumers and thereby normalizing the practice, we encourage its perpetuation. 
Um, so I want to question this idea that we can, as you say, uh, as you said, voice strong opposition to such practice when actually our wallets are communicating the very opposite message. You talked about, um, you know, lobbying the producers to produce things more ethically. Well, I, I don't think the, the producers listen so much to our words as they do to the, their balance sheets. And if they see that we are ultimately willing to take these vaccines, they know they're safe to carry on using fetal cell lines and indeed to carry on getting new cell lines or harvesting kidneys from this baby or a scalp from that baby, knowing that even the Christians, even the pro-lifers are willing to tolerate and benefit from such practice. I do fear that in this instance, especially, our actions speak louder than our words. Uh, I don't know how I'm doing for time here, Chris, so please do stop me or give me a 30 second warning when I'm when I'm done. But I, I, I want to um, just really question those two main areas, um, which are the, the idea it's not an option because of a sort of what I perceive to be utilitarian kind of argument. that We, we must vaccinate at all costs, even if it means immoral vaccines. And the idea that we're not complicit in the original abortion, agreed, but we are complicit. We are encouraging ongoing organ harvesting. And that, I think, as Christians, we must take a very clear and unmistakable stance against with words and actions. You still have about a minute and a half or so. Okay, well, I'll, I'll um, just mention one more thing then, if I may, um, which was your your um, point about the obligations on, on those who refuse the vaccine, um, such as wearing a mask when in church or um, or perhaps taking regular tests. Again, I want to question the starting point of such a, an assertion. Um, all of a sudden, we're saying there's an obligation on those who are healthy and in all probability not carrying the, vac uh, the, the virus. Of course, some are. But in, in all probability, if I have no symptoms, in all probability, I'm also, I don't have the virus, I'm healthy. And yet we're expecting someone that to be in sort of perpetual, long-term, 24-7 uh, impediment that they should have a mask, they should test, they should stay away from certain situations. And I'm not sure where we suddenly got this flip from. Not, normally speaking, we don't do that. We don't do that with the flu. We don't isolate or kind of restrict the healthy when it's the flu. It's for those who are vulnerable, if they want to, to isolate, if that's a decision they want to make with their safety. But I don't know why all of a sudden the burden's going to be on healthy people who, for reasons of conscience, are rejecting vaccines coming out of an immoral practice. All of a sudden, they're the ones that are going to be punished. That seems a strange turning of the tables, whereas actually throughout history, generally speaking, it's either those who have an illness that isolate. Um, and I'd be quite happy to, you know, if, if I was found to have an illness, I'm happy to isolate for as long as I have it within reason. But in, in historically, we've isolated those who have an illness that's spreading, not just assuming they might have it. And we also, we isolate those who are actually vulnerable or those who themselves are ill. And I, I don't know why we thought, flipped this all of a sudden. All right, thank you so much for that rebuttal, Mr. Brennan. Um, now, Mr. Blackshaw, it's your turn for your seven and a half minute rebuttal. So as soon as you begin speaking, I'll start your timer. Okay, um, I'm mainly responding at this point to uh, Dave's opening statement. Um, so I think my first point is about remoteness, um, Dave referred to uh, the idea that, you know, perhaps I was getting at that because it happened 50 years ago, uh, maybe it's permissible now. So it's fairly remotely removed in time, whereas um, the Chinese cell line, which was created, I think, in 2015, is fairly recent. Would I accept that? Uh, 
in terms of moral culpability, remoteness is remoteness in causality in terms of how far removed we are from the actual evil act, not in time, but in causality. So um, I'm not saying it's permissible because this uh, fetus was aborted 50 years ago. I'm saying that the remoteness is the, the amount of actual causal distance from the original evil act. And that's quite, quite great for us. Uh, for Christians who were working for pharmaceutical companies uh, who are developing the, these vaccines, uh, it, it would have, I think that they're obviously causally closer to that decision, to that abortion. And if they had spoken up, I assume they probably were Christians in those companies. Perhaps if they'd spoken up or been, uh, you know, strongly opposed this, we wouldn't be in this situation. So it, it does depend where you are. I think as end consumers of vaccines, we are very causally remote though. Uh, secondly, personally, I, d I don't see how using the fetal cell lines encourages abortion today. Um, I don't see how taking the vaccine encourages abortion today. Um, again, the causal remoteness is, is quite great. Uh, these cell lines are long established. They've been around for a long time and they're used for the reason that uh, they're consistent, they're pure, um, they can used in repeatable experiments. So I, I don't really see how using these cell lines is actually encouraging abortion in any way at all, really. Um, uh, in fact, abortion is so prevalent today, it, it's, it's hard to see how it could be encouraged further anyway. Um, so in, in my view, we can take this vaccine. It doesn't send a particular message that we're encouraging abortion and we can still voice our opposition uh, right to governments. Uh, we're, we're fortunate here in Australia, our, our prime minister is an evangelical Christian. And so um, we can, we can write to him and point out the 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 evil of the original uh, abortion and say that uh, you know perhaps for the sake of uh, of bringing this pandemic to an end you know we we can take this vaccine but we don't approve of its origins and uh, can you please ensure that uh, we try and stick to vaccines that don't have this issue um Dave did say in his opening statement, are we willing to pay the price of uh, not taking the vaccine, which uh, in, in response to, I guess, the idea that we can't escape evil no matter what we do. Um, I, I don't think the price for taking, not for refusing this vaccine is actually that high. Um, I don't think Dave thinks there's really that great a chance that he's going to catch the vaccine and probably a less of a chance that he'll pass it on. Um, I guess a question to Dave is, uh, you, you kind of uh, implied that it's kind of utilitarian reasoning, uh, the, the greater good of the greater number to bring the pandemic to an end. And I, there is an element of that in my argument, but um, let me suggest, what, what if there was a 50% chance of you dying without this vaccine? And what if 
there was a much higher chance of you catching uh, the virus. So say in the next week, if there was a 50% chance of you catching it, uh, your children perhaps, and a 50% chance of them dying, much higher chance than what there actually is. Would, would that change your view on whether you would take the vaccine or not? If the chances of you or your children dying from it are very much higher. Um, if it does, then I don't think you're really standing on that moral principle you're talking about. You're actually going with the numbers yourself. So I'll be interested to hear what you say about that. Um, I agree that we shouldn't be silent. Um, and I've been, you know, as, as I said, and as I know you do, opposing abortion as much as possible throughout my life. But uh, again, I don't think the vaccine taking the vaccine sends the message that we approve of abortion. Um, I think you mentioned something about the route back to normal. Um, again, I think the suffering involved is is quite substantial. I mean, personally, I don't feel as I'm suffering very much through this uh, pandemic. Uh, I live in a detached house in Australia. My job is online. I've not I've not lost my income. Um, in Australia, things things are pretty subdued. We don't have too many cases. Uh, everyone lives their life as normal. But um, I'm very much aware that uh, that's not the case in a lot of places. A lot of people, even some of our industries, our, our tourism industry is suffering a great deal for, for lack of international tourists because our borders are closed and so on. So I, I am mindful that um, you know, this is not going to come to an end without vaccines. And uh, I mean, I'm sure Dave knows that as well. And I think Dave isn't suggesting that we don't take vaccines per se. He's, I think, suggesting that we wait until a vaccine that isn't morally compromised arrives. 45 um, seconds. I don't know when that would be. Um, if it's only three months away, then I think certainly in this country, I would wait for the vaccine that wasn't morally compromised, but there's no sign of that happening in this country. So if Dave knows any more about when these vaccines would be available, that would be really helpful. So, okay, I'll, I'll finish it there. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Blackshaw, for your rebuttal. Now, we're going to turn at this point in time to, as I said uh, at the beginning, about 30 minutes, roughly, of uh, open conversation. And what I'd like to do is just sort of grease the wheels and get conversation going by first seeing if we can agree uh, or if, if the debaters agree um, that taking moral shortcuts if that's in fact a, an appropriate term uh, it, it's a term that i think uh, dave brennan used that, that taking moral shortcuts isn't um excusable just on utilitarian grounds but put another way would we all agree here that if it could be demonstrated that there it, it's morally questionable to receive the vaccine then would it even matter how um uh, how something is and, and, and how dangerous it is not to receive the vaccine. Um, wouldn't it still be ethical not to receive it uh, for that reason? So maybe we can start by talking about that. And let me ask you to, to get the, the conversation going, Bruce. Would you agree with Dave that um, that really this boils down to the ethical question and that utilitarianism um, is fairly irrelevant? Or, or would you say that, in fact, even if there is some 
question to its morality, the severity, the seriousness of the issue does make for something of a utilitarian case for you know, setting the moral issues aside in order to get the vaccine. So let's let's start with that, and then we'll we'll see how the conversation goes. Uh, well, I think it's a good question. It probably gets to the the heart of the argument in a way. <clears throat> um, I guess the issue here is there's not really any question of me taking the vaccine that I'm involved in an evil act. That I mean, that's the whole point of the material corporation is to say, well, I'm very removed from the evil act. So I, I am not myself participating in an evil act by taking the vaccine. And I'm not encouraging an evil act. Um, I, I shouldn't say merely, but in, in, in comparison, I am benefiting from an evil act in the past that was that it, that is very causally removed from where I am now. So I think the equation changes if uh, um, just let, let, let's propose, say, that to make these vaccines, every vaccine needs a newly aborted baby uh, to be produced in, in some way. If, if, if that were the case, that vastly changes the equation in terms of uh, causal remoteness. Um, we've got a very direct connection between the vaccine produced today and abortion. And my taking the vaccine would create a demand for aborted babies. And therefore, I'm encouraging that evil act. But because A, it's very causally remote currently, and B, it's not a, a cell line is I think um, I think HUK two nine three is immortal. I know that um, uh, WI thirty eight isn't actually immortal, but um, because it's immortal, that these cell lines can be used for possibly hundreds of years until they degrade. I'm I'm not sure how long that would be. So I don't see that there's any possibility of encouraging further abortions by utilizing that cell line. Okay, so I I guess there is, there is a line there. And that's what the whole concept of material cooperation is designed to to kind of right. draw out. Right. Okay. So then, turning to you, then, Dave, uh, it sounds like we are in agreement that um, if it's morally compromised uh, or if it's morally questionable, then it really doesn't matter how severe it is, how dangerous it is not to receive it. Um, you wouldn't, you just, we wouldn't do it. But Bruce's contention is that this isn't a formal um, uh, complicity, but a material one in the sense that we are benefiting from an evil action that was done in the past and that by benefiting from those evil actions in the past, we're not encouraging continued abortion and continued organ harvesting today. But of course, that was your main contention is that we are people who receive the vaccine are in fact um, promoting its ongoing occurrence. And so the question I have for you, and then please feel free to follow up with additional thoughts uh, as you see fit. Um, let's say hypothetically speaking, a significant percentage of the Christian population became convicted that um, that you're right. And so they refused to take any of the vaccines that um, resulted from research done on uh, these cell lines. 
do you think that that would make any significant impact on that demand you described, that demand that is ongoing even to this day for abortions, organ harvesting, this kind of research on fetal cell lines? Would it have any significant impact at all? And if not, then are we, in fact, encouraging these practices by receiving the vaccine? Thank you. Yes. Well, first of all, I just want to answer very clearly that initial question of, um, you know, is there any space for the utilitarian argument? Can we ever take moral shortcuts? Um, uh, I'll let Bruce answer that himself. But but for me, I, I'm absolutely not. I don't think any outcome justifies a moral shortcut. So if there is a moral issue with this vaccine, I believe we have to reject it. Uh, to answer Bruce's question about, you know, what if it was 50 percent chance that I'd catch it, maybe 50 percent chance I'll pass it on much higher stakes. I hope I'd have the same response. Now, obviously, I, I agree, Bruce, that it's easy for me, really, to say no at a personal level and even at other levels, the risk being relatively small. Um, but that's not what my argument's based on. And, and I turn again to Daniel chapter one, even if the stakes are really high with my life and with the lives of others, under God, I've got to do what I believe is ethically right, regardless of the outcome. So that's just to be clear on the utilitarian question from my perspective. And in terms of the question of whether or not we're, we're causally um, uh, involved with evil, to use the language there that, that, that as, as Bruce said, the Catholics have invented to talk about these things, I just want to be very clear, and I'm, I'm sorry if I haven't been clear so far. Um, my argument is not that taking this vaccine encourages abortions. I'm in agreement with Bruce. There are already plenty of abortions out there, regrettably. Um, so this is not driving demand for abortions per se. What it is doing, and this is my argument, what it is doing is it's normalizing the practice of organ harvesting from babies. It's communicating that we, Christians, pro-lifers, are willing to benefit from such practice, which continues today. And by doing so, we, we communicate a very strong message that we find this practice tolerable. We're willing to benefit from it. And so my contention is that we are causally cooperating in the ongoing injustice because we're benefiting from fruit of the very same injustice. It, to me, it's, it's as though we were living, let's say we were living as uh, wealthy, white, middle-class Germans uh, during the 1940s, and we decided to benefit from experiments done on Jews in the, in, in the Holocaust. We, by, by benefiting from these experiments, we communicate that we condone, we're, we're tolerant of what's going on. And so there is no pressure for that practice to stop. So my contention is, yes, billions of people saying yes to this vaccine puts across a very strong message, we're happy. We can say it's re reluctantly and we can say we'd rather something else, but at the end of the day, if we're not willing to wait even a month or two or whatever it is, again, the, the vaccine producers are looking at their books and saying, guys, it's looking good. They're all willing to take this, we can crack on. So my concern is that whatever we voice, our actions are toler tolerating, endorsing, normalizing this practice. And friends, we're already on the back foot here. <laughs> the practice is already so normalized that you know that it's even possible to speak of using human cells in this way as an advance. You know, medically speaking, that, that it's just normal in the in the scientific community to speak about the difference between fetal cells and monkey cells or uh, cucumber cells or who knows what in purely technical terms, not in moral terms. We talk about which one works best for us. We see it purely as as material to be used. Um, and, and as Christians in particular, I believe it is our responsibility to forge that moral distinction and say, no matter how effective this is, if this is the wonder drug of the century, if it's if by taking this we're communicating uh, a tolerance of um, an atrocity, 
that's going on today, we, we, we can't do it. So uh, yes, in, in terms of the question, will we have an impact? Let's say the entire evangelical community worldwide rejected this vaccine. Uh, I think that would make a big impact. Uh, it's hard to predict how much, but certainly um, it would be enough of an impact to, 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 for it to hurt the producers, for it to show up on government records, to cause anxiety at the level of we're trying to roll this thing out. We'd better hurry up and get some ethical vaccines in. I don't know about the stats in the States or in Australia. I think the evangelical community is much bigger in those nations than it is here in the UK. But even in the UK, we're talking a few million people. That's enough to get the government to sit up and, and pay attention. They're already paying attention to certain um, parts of the community they see as vaccine hesitant. Um, many of the black and Asian minor minority ethnic groups are being targeted by pop-up vaccination centers and so on. It's clearly anxiety on the part of the government uh, for those uh, with, with regards to those who are rejecting the vaccine. And so, yes, I think we could communicate a powerful message that we, we're not going to put up with this ongoing practice. And we can use it as an education opportunity to say, look, the reason we're unhappy with this is because this is carrying on. Did you hear about baby scouts being grafted to rats. What do you think about that? Do you know it's happening today? Do you know that some federal funds might be going into that in America? Do you know it's taxpayers in the UK that pay for it here? And so, yes, I think it could have an impact. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, we've got to start somewhere with our principled stand and, and re-educate society and change hearts and minds. I think this is a wonderful opportunity to do so. Yeah, Bruce, I'm, I'm going to turn it back to you then to respond to Dave there. Um, he, he made the argument in his opening presentation that while abortions are fully normalized and, and you know, Christians receiving the vaccine aren't going to do anything to promote continued abortions. That's already happening. However, he gave examples of the China vaccine development in 2015, where lung tissue was used from an aborted baby girl. Um, and then he also gave the example of the University of Pittsburgh and the process they described of scalping aborted babies and then stitching the scalps onto mice. Um, you know, this there here's what seems to be examples of um, uh, the, not just abortion, but specifically the do, the harvesting of organs from aborted fetuses, which he also said requires the killing of the baby done to be done in a different way, a way that's more torturous to the unborn child. Um, in light of those facts, my question for you then, and and, and again, a wide open, you can just respond to everything that Dave said there, but um, how, do you think that Brennan is onto something that by receiving the vaccines that have been produced from these uh, fetal cell lines, we may not be encouraging abortion, but we are encouraging the continued harvesting of of, of organs from aborted babies, which requires killing those babies in a more torturous way in order to get those organs. So how do you respond to that line of reasoning? Well, well I mean, Dave's completely right about the problem of organ harvesting. It's, um, as, as far as I'm aware, it's a $100 million industry in the US, and, and, and it's a horrific one, and one that we should be speaking up about. Um, but again, I don't see that um, using uh, drugs or vaccines developed from these well-established cell lines actually really makes any difference in that regard. Um, I would prefer that we lobby to produce cell lines that aren't reliant on uh, fetal cells. Uh, as far as I can tell, there doesn't seem to be 
a good reason why we can't use other sources nowadays. There's no necessity. The The problem really is with um, HEK-293 and WI-38. These are well-established cell lines. They're, there's an industry behind supplying them. You can buy them off the internet. Scientists know what they're getting. They're, 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 they're pure. They respond in certain ways. They're well-studied. Uh, so really we need to be encouraging the development and use of cell lines that aren't compromised in this way and it's it seems perfectly possible i don't i'm, I'm sure that, that there probably are cell lines out there already that um, don't use these sources that are still human cell lines maybe from um, umbilical cords placentas or, or or whatever those those cells are available so uh, I think our, we, we should be putting some effort into that. In terms of the actual organ harvesting, I mean, again, we should be doing what we can to bring that to a halt. But uh, I don't really see that refusing a vaccine is not only going to make any impact, but again, the the relationship between the two is 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 quite remote. And yeah, my my personal view is that. We can we can use those cell lines, yeah. Okay, well, I want to um, press in on that because I think we're getting to the real crux of this debate, and I, I want to ask you two follow up questions as, as follow ups to your answer. Uh, and, and Dave, you know, I'm sorry if if this is taking up too much of your time, and if you have other questions you want to ask, I'll, I'll turn things over to you in in just a moment. But but I think this is important. My, my first question for you, Bruce, is um, Dave made the case that the companies involved in the procurement of these tissues uh, of, of these unborn babies uh, dead bodies um, the development of the vaccines all the various companies involved like any company are likely to be motivated by financial pressure more than just about anything else and so that could be that by refusing to receive the vaccine we are we are challenging the financial bottom line of these various companies by telling them they're not going to make the kinds of profit that they have been because people are refusing to take these vaccines and so they better turn to some other option whereas it sounds like you're saying we can take the vaccines not apply that financial pressure but still apply some other kind of pressure by verbalizing our opposition to these practices uh, if that's if that's more or less an accurate take on your perspective. Um, why don't you think that the financial pressures, or do do you think there would be financial pressure asserted uh, on the various companies involved if Christians en masse were to refuse to take these vaccines? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I mean, if enough Christians did that, I guess it's possible. Probably not really for AstraZeneca because they're, producing the vaccine not-for-profit anyway, as I understand it. Um, Moderna and Pfizer. Um, I, maybe we could make a small impact, but, I mean, the scale of COVID is, is so great that, I mean, these companies can't keep up with demand. So, um, I, I, yeah, I think... Dave actually mentioned this, the, the, the far greater impact if enough Christians were to oppose scene would be on governments who are anxious to roll out uh, vaccine programs, not so much the profits of these companies, because these, you know, Pfizer is making a huge amount out of this anyway that was, you know, unexpected a year and a half ago. So I don't think 
the money side from that point of view is what would make a difference. But uh, I guess I think the more important effect would be the pressure put on governments that might be affecting their vaccine programs and, and that kind of thing. So, okay. I mean, governments want, want people to be vaccinated. They're trumpeting the percentage of the population that's vaccinated. So uh, that, yeah. that uh, would have an impact. Well, I'll be interested to, to hear if we can drill in on that issue a little bit more over the course of the debate. But let me ask you the other follow-up question I had before I turn back to Dave. You said that the cell lines from which these vaccines were developed, um, at least some of them are immortal and will continue to provide the, necess or the necessary components for doing the research for these vaccines for potentially hundreds of years. My question for you is, if that's true, then what was it that prompted, for example, China in 2015 to harvest lung tissue from an aborted baby in order to perform research that would lead to a vaccine or whatever? If if the immortal cell lines are enough, and if we could just use those, why did why are there still aborted babies whose organs are being harvested for vaccines? Um, that's a good question, and I I don't really know why China created that particular cell line. Um, I mean, creating a, a new cell line is is difficult. It requires, I mean, a lot of testing and uh, who knows whether that cell line is any good. The point of a well-established cell line is that uh, its quality is known. How, how those cells respond to various environment influences is known. And so creating a new cell line when there are existing cell lines available isn't really a good idea. I mean, maybe someone... Uh, a listener who knows better could could chime in at some point in the Q&A, but I suspect it's more that China wants their own cell line more than anything else, not that we actually need that additional cell line, but uh, someone more familiar with cell lines might be able to shed more light on that. Okay. All right. Well, Dave, as I said, I've, I've taken up some of your time now. I want to give it back to you and, in, you know, ask you for your thoughts on how Bruce has responded to your argument about, um, yeah, we may not be formally complicit in these evil acts, but we are uh, encouraging their ongoing, it's ongoing practice by participating or by receiving these vaccines. And he says he just doesn't think that we are, in fact, encouraging them to do so by receiving the vaccine. So what are, what are your thoughts? And, and I'll, from this point, for the remainder of the 30 minutes, um, I'll mostly just leave it up to you guys to discuss and feel free to ask each other questions during this time as well. Okay, thank you, Chris. Yes, yeah, so I'd like to come back to that question of whether or not we are encouraging further, because I think that is the crux. That, that is what this all depends on. Um, if I can put it this way, if, if organ harvesting from babies were a thing of the past, then I think it'd be a totally different question because there'd be no danger that by taking this vaccine even a vaccine that would came out of that historic practice if the if the injustice itself had been finished by now i don't think there would be a danger that we'd be encouraging it i don't think i'd have an argument i wouldn't be concerned really um, but because it's going on today i think what we do with these vaccines is significant um, and my fear is that when we say okay we're willing to take the vaccine but at the same time, we're going to lobby the government or the producers or whoever um, to get ethical ones next time. My concern is that uh, in the absence of adding to that to those words and pressure, we are merely depending on the goodwill of these people. And we're, we're depending on the goodwill of people who simply are not good. 
they're, they're not good people. If they didn't care yesterday about the ethics of organ harvesting and abortion, why are they going to care tomorrow? Because we're pleading with them? I, I'm afraid. I just don't believe that's true. And my concern is that we um, pro-lifers and, 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 and Christians often, we fall into the trap. I fear we fall into a trap of being really quite naive as to how social reform actually works. It doesn't work because we just sort of plead with people to be better people tomorrow. We have to apply pressure. There's a principle of social reform that states that, um, that those who hold the reins of power and, and oversee injustice, they, they never let go unless the status quo is made unbearable. That is to say, they only change tack because it hurts too much to keep going in the same direction. So my concern is if we're not putting our wallet where our mouth is and if we're not willing to be a pain over this, um, there's just no reason they're going to listen to us. Um, because if we were happy to take the vaccines this time around, they know we'll be happy to take the next time around. We've already proven to them. We've proven to them we're happy to take the vaccine. So that's my concern, that if we only um, voice opposition, but we communicate with our actions that we're, that we're willing to take it, um, I just don't see how anyone's going to take it seriously. And we can point to historic... Uh, social reform, we can think of the abolition of the slave trade, we can think of the civil rights movement. There comes a moment where you have to stand and get in the way and not play ball and become an inconvenience because apart from that, everyone just interprets you as, as just words and that you'll be happy to carry on tomorrow as you did yesterday. So that is my great concern. And for that reason, I believe that we are, uh, by by showing ourselves willing to take the fruit of this genocide we're showing ourselves willing we're thereby communicating endorsement and i really do believe that with every jab and who knows there might be billions by the end of this billions of people may have had a jab which normalizes the concept of human tissue being used um as a just another medical um tool in your hand just 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 like it was uh, anything else because that's how the medical establishment generally treats it and Someone asked about, you know, um, why did China get a new cell line? I, I don't know exactly why. I don't know why particularly they felt there was a need. But one way of answering that question is they saw, they saw no reason not to because the killing of babies in the womb or pulling them out of the womb and then killing them is so normalized in that culture and in ours, they wouldn't think twice before doing it. And it's that culture where the killing of babies and the harvesting of their organs is normalized. It's that culture we need to challenge. And my concern is we're, we're going in the very opposite direction to challenging. When we show ourselves willing to take it. Um, since I'm on well, Max, so I wonder if I could come back to that question, um, Bruce. Whether you'd be, would you be prepared to take a, uh, a vaccine developed out of that cell line, the one from 2015, Wildvax two, if say that was the only one available to um, to combat the pandemic, the only one available was was from Wildvax two. Would that be acceptable to you? Uh, that's a good hypothetical question. It's, uh, I can probably answer it by saying the same as your answer when I hypothetically said, what if the vaccine, uh, sorry, what if COVID had a 50% uh, death rate? Well, that's not where we are. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I would have to think about that and think about uh, what message that sent uh, and how, again, how causally remote we are. Um, so let me think about that during the course of the debate. and. Um, I'll see if I can get back to you on that. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but 
I guess probably my biggest difficulty is that the kind of message we're sending, um, whether it really, whether refusing the vaccine is actually sending, I mean, most people will find it, I think, rather, rather unusual in that a fetus that was killed 50 years ago, we're protesting against a vaccine that, uh, you know, benefits from that in 2021, that is remote in time. And whereas I'm concerned more with causal remoteness, most people receiving your message will, will not find it terribly convincing and instead will be looking at the consequences of not taking the vaccine. And the message sent there might be quite different in terms of how we are caring for our neighbor, for our, our, our nation. Uh, you see what I mean? There, there is some mixed messages going on there. Um, we might indeed get a great amount of criticism for being responsible for more deaths and more lockdowns and uh, more hospital admission on. And, you know, that's something we need to take into account as well. Um, perhaps that is, I guess, slightly utilitarian reasoning in, in one way, but um, uh, while, while I'm not a hardcore utilitarian, I do, uh, you know, depending on the situation, numbers are important to me. And uh, when I see millions of people suffering, well, millions have died so far, many more millions uh, are suffering with long COVID and things like that. I mean, it will it will have a cost if we delay our vaccination programs. And um, personally, I won't be paying that cost because I don't think I'm going to be catching COVID here in Australia. Um, um, my job's not at risk. Um, so anything I do will be for other people. It won't be for me or my family because they're not really at risk either. So and to what are the messages we're sending? And we're not just sending one message about the ethics of a vaccine. We're sending a message about uh, what, you know, about how much we care for other people. Now, I'm not saying you don't care for other people by if you want to refuse the vaccine. That's that's not really fair. But uh, certainly, I think that will be interpreted as one of the messages that is sent. Yes, I, I think I actually agree with you to some there. Um, I think it's quite probable people would would not hear the message correctly. I think it's possible, at least some of them. Uh, there's a possible that they'll interpret that as being cavalier, uncaring, and so on. Um, and I think for the, for that reason, I mean, I think, I think it was um, Chris who brought up the the question of impact, which I think is a, it's a valid thing to ask about to see, you know, what is this going to have a good outcome? It's worth talking about. But again, it's not really what my argument is based on. Uh, again, I go back to the, the example of of Daniel chapter one, but there are many others in scripture where um, there's a high probability people are going to not thank you for it. You know, they, they're going to accuse you of doing wrong. Indeed, of course, that's what Jesus promises to his followers. You know, blessed are you when people falsely accuse you of, um, you know, falsely say all kinds of evil against you and persecute you and so on. So, yes, I think it's quite possible people would get the wrong end of the stick and, and not appreciate this. Um, that regrettably, that's uh, that that's just, you know, sometimes that's what happens when we do the right thing. That the world won't, won't thank us. That the world will never thank us for, you know, putting 
the eternal perspective and God's perspective first. So I think I think that's um, what you say is is probably true, but I wouldn't say it changes things um, morally. And I think what I would say about that, coming back to the utilitarian question, I think we have to ask what what is what is really the chief goal of the Christian? You know, what is what are we here for? What are we trying to achieve? And, and I wouldn't say that our our driving our sort of ruling and um, principle is to is to reduce suffering you know of of all kinds as much as possible by any means um and, and one way i try and draw draw that out is by saying that the evil of organ harvesting cannot be compared with the with the um with the suffering of people from for example covid-19 they're not it's not like for like it's 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 trying to compare two things that are fundamentally different because one is an act of evil and it's the, it's by the hand of man organ harvesting and baby genocide is an act of evil by the hand of man whereas natural disasters such as covid-19 these we might call them tragedies but they're the hand of god which which means we have a very different responsibility with regard to them we should seek to reduce suffering where possible but i don't think we should get it into our heads that we're going to end natural suffering that we're going to defeat it that we're going to dominate it and by any means we're going to we're going to put a stop to that even if it means taking moral shortcuts with real evil the hand of man august organ harvesting from babies so that's why i don't think these things can be in any way and so whilst it's you know it's natural to look at these different things and consider what outcomes might be and so on i don't think it um has anything to do with the price of fish ethically if what's at stake here is um, cooperating or normalizing or showing tolerance of or endorsing um, an evil act. And I think that's what we have to keep coming back to. So whether people thank me for it or not, whether it has an impact or not, um, I um, I can't benefit from an injustice that carries on today. Um, and I think that is um, what we see played out in, in scripture. Uh, I think it's what we see played out in the history of social reform, that um, we need, you know, I think God honors us when we um, make a principled stand that pleases him because of because of we're conscious of him, um, regardless of, of how people are gonna um, receive it. Okay. Bruce, uh, do you wanna have the final word on this before we go to closing arguments? Um, sure, I can say a quick word. I, I guess from from my point of view, um, Dave is saying, well, in the end, it doesn't come down to the message we're sending. But if it doesn't come down to the message we're sending, since we're not participating in the evil, uh, original evil act, then if the message we're sending is irrelevant, well, then we're not encouraging the evil act anyway to be repeated. It so happens that organ harvesting is carried on today, but if what if if taking the vaccine and the message that sends isn't actually that relevant, well then I think that kind of undermines the argument that uh, it's in a moral act in the first place to to take in. Um, so I don't know. I think that needs a little bit of teasing teasing out there. Um, because of the fact that we're not actually the evil act has already occurred and in terms of this cell line is not reoccurring 
if the message I send doesn't make any difference morally, then I'm, I'm not sure how how that there's a problem at all in that case. But um, yeah, let's talk about that a bit further later, perhaps. Great. Well, with that in mind, then I'll encourage our listeners um, or, or maybe Braxton behind the scenes to queue up a question on that very point. If if um, if, as Dave has been contending, our reception of the vaccine sends a message that 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 people developing vaccines and other medical advances um, can leverage uh, organs harvested from aborted children. Um, if, if that is why we shouldn't take it, but at the same time, the message we might send by not taking it, namely that we don't love uh, our fellow man, that people's lives don't matter, whatever. Uh, if, if that isn't reason for us not to avoid taking the vaccine, then why would the alternative be a reason for taking the vaccine? Maybe you can flesh out that wording, Braxton, and prepare that for the um, uh, for the Q&A portion after closings. But let's go ahead and wrap up the formal part of the debate with closing statements. Each participant will have five minutes. And, and just for uh, my the debate participants' um, information and for anybody else watching, closing statements are not a place to introduce new reasons for affirming or denying the thesis. It's not an opportunity to uh, uh, present additional evidence or anything like that. It's to sum up the cases that have been made and responses to each of those cases. Um, and then in Q&A, we can drill into some additional information. But I just want to caution participants not to continue to introduce additional material that there'll be no, more, no opportunity to respond to. So with that having been said, Dave, I'll turn things over to you for your five-minute closing statement, and I'll start your timer as soon as you begin. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, well, let me just um, uh, thank you for raising that, um, Bruce, that, that, that um where I've not been very clear on, on the question of, well, is it the message we're sending or is it not the message we're sending? So let me just clarify what I was trying to say there before summing up. So um, what I'm trying to say is that the message we uh, give when we take uh, the vaccine is that we do tolerate, uh, we're willing to benefit from, we're endorsing, we're part of normalizing and therefore and thereby continuing, perpetuating the ongoing practice of organ harvesting. That's the message that we give by taking the vaccine. That's my argument. Now, it's true that by not taking it, some will misunderstand our message. Or to put it another way, some won't like it. They won't like what we're doing, and therefore some will misconstrue it, whether honestly or dishonestly. Um, for example, when, um, when abolitionists um, back in the 18th century, when, when abolitionists were advocating certain views, they were quickly uh, condemned as radicals, Republicans, you hate the king, you're a Frenchie, whatever. It, it, it was um, very easy for people to be put in a box as one of those people we don't like. And we're seeing that already here in the UK. Anti-vaxxers are sort of the, the, the worst sort of person ever. So um, I'm sorry I wasn't very clear there, but what I was trying to say is that we do communicate a message by taking the vaccine. We communicate a message by not taking the vaccine. Um, but because the latter is the less popular thing, we're to expect that some will misconstrue this. They'll they'll want to say they want to serve our good, and that's something we need to try and be on top of in terms of taking the initiative and communicating our stance well, as best we can, explaining ourselves in our own words. And that's why I'm so grateful for this event where we can do that. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is we shouldn't be surprised if some 
misconstrue what we're doing or misunderstand. That's par for the course as a disciple of Christ. It's par for the course for social reform. And um, those who seek to uh, see social reform throughout the ages have often been seen as unpatriotic, unloving, not caring about their neighbours. But of course, what they're generally doing is lifting up into the public eye a whole bunch of neighbours that most people are not seeing. And that's the opportunity we have to do here. So my argument is that by accepting these vaccines, we accept the practice um, that produced these vaccines. That practice continues today all around the world. And here's an opportunity for us to stand and refuse that and to communicate clear condemnation of that practice and to demand with our wallets, with our arms, with whatever else you want to call it, um, to communicate that we're not willing to benefit and we demand an end to this practice and we demand alternatives, uh, which are indeed on their on their way. Okay, you still have three minutes if you'd like to use them. Otherwise, oh, sorry, I'll... I thought you were coming back on because I was I was running out of time. Sorry. So, um, so uh, uh, further, I, I've been arguing that um, utilitarianism is is not a Christian um, way to go about ethics. That we we shouldn't um, observe the predicted outcomes. For one thing, we don't know what outcomes will be. That's God's business. Uh, but also, we frequently compare and weigh against each other things that are not like each other. The evil of organ harvesting and the evil of baby genocide is by the hand of man, and um, we can outright call that an evil. But the kind of suffering that comes from disease, from plague, uh, from locusts, volcanoes, earthquakes, our hearts can go out to people suffering in that, and that is a tragedy, and we should seek to help them. But we can't call that an evil as such. It's by the hand of God, and um, the Lord has his reasons for these things. As Christians, we ought to be compassionate and seek to alleviate suffering where we can, but we cannot um, get close to or communicate normalization of moral evil in order to alleviate tragic natural suffering. And I think that's where um, many of us are, are, um, are finding ourselves sort of pinned back by the severity of the global pandemic. And we, we find ourselves saying, well, there's no choice. We've got to get rid of this somehow. If the only vaccine that's available right now is this, well, I'll take it because we just have to. There's this moral obligation to end the virus. And I, to be clear, I reject that outright. There is not a moral obligation to end this virus. It might not even be possible to end this virus. Uh, if we end this one, there might be another one. Uh, we're not God. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to do good. But the assumption that we're getting very strongly from the mainstream, from the government, is we must end this virus, we will end this virus, and, and here's how we're gonna do it. And as Christians before God, we've gotta make up our own mind, uh, morally, ethically before God, and say, well, hang on, if this vaccine is produced by the fruit of genocide and the torture, the additional torture that's caused by organ harvesting that continues today, we've gotta to reject that, no matter what the uh, perceived benefits um, are going to be. Great. Thank you so much for that, Dave. And now, Bruce, it's your turn for your five-minute closing, and I'll start your timer as soon as you begin. Okay. Well, uh, to sum up, um, well, thanks, Dave, for just communicating your your views clearly. It's um, it's I've enjoyed getting a better understanding of your point of view here. Uh, personally, I don't I don't think refusal of the vaccine sends a particularly clear message. I don't, so uh, I also don't think accepting the vaccine sends a particularly clear message either. Uh, it doesn't indicate support for organ harvesting, or I don't think 
it contributes to normalization of using uh, fetuses for medical research or anything like that. So to me, that would be the main moral difficulty with utilizing the benefits of a fetal cell line, given that the evil act has already occurred and is not occurring again with regard to that vaccine, that cell line. So to me, that would be the main reason to avoid using it if it did convey support for current practices, which I don't think it does. Uh, it's kind of interesting how little debate there's been in the last few years about the MMR vaccine, which we mentioned briefly, chickenpox as well, because I mean, these all have the same problem, but it's, it's kind of strange how we come to a, this global pandemic and we're now all aware that uh, these vaccines have moral, morally tainted origins, but we don't seem to have been very aware of that uh, previously. I, I know Dave has been because he mentioned it, but more broadly speaking, it's not really been a topic of conversation. I need, I discovered this, I think, in the 19, oh, probably 2004, when my daughter was born in the UK and um, I read the vaccine leaflets and found out that there was uh, cell, fetal cell lines being used in, in the MMR vaccine. So it's kind of interesting how it's come to a bit of a head now when it hasn't been much of an issue before for Christians. Uh, I'm not saying that means anything one way or another. I just noted as something of interest. Um, whether or not we take the vaccine, I, I, I do think it's an issue of personal moral conviction. I don't think anyone should be criticised one way or another. As I said, I do think... There are some obligations that uh, in in pandemic in in the, the pandemic situation that we have to be careful to to guard the health of our neighbour, uh, any elderly relatives and things like that. I know Dave said that is kind of turning it on its head, but I think as long as there are pandemic conditions, we do need to keep in mind that our actions can affect others, and we have to be careful about it. Um, more importantly, and probably most importantly, we all should just continue to be vigorously opposed to abortion and do what we can to raise awareness of this massive human rights violation. It is an evil thing that aborted fetuses have been used to create cell lines used in these vaccines. It's a far, far greater evil that abortion was legal so that this could happen and that it's still legal today and practiced on a far greater scale. Thank you. Great. Okay. Um, with that, we are done with the formal timed portion uh, portions of the debate. And I just want to say thanks so much again to our participants for giving us a, a lot of things to think about. Those of us who've yet to take the vaccine, and maybe even some of the some of us who have, um, but may want to be better informed in what we encourage our neighbors to do. Um, throughout the debate, Braxton has been uh, hard at work, 
hard at work uh, behind the scenes, getting uh, gathering questions from the audience to pose to the debate participants. So we're going to spend about 30 minutes roughly uh, posing those questions to our participants. So Braxton, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to say a word or two or do you just want to put them up on yeah. the screen and I'll read them off to our. Yeah, go ahead. No, if that's OK, I'd just like to say a couple of things and then. When the audience Q&A is done, Chris, you can feel free to just close out the whole stream. But I just want to say before we go into the audience Q&A, thank you all for being here. I have a lot of great questions. This can sometimes be the most fun part of a discussion. Thank you both of you for being on the show. And I want to make clear, I should have said this before, that while uh, Chris and I represent Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, Dave and Bruce, by being on this show, in no way uh, are necessarily speaking uh, an endorsement for our school. They've just agreed to come on and and uh, and bless us with their with their thoughts. Um, but I do appreciate both of you being on here. It's it's been great, Dave. I particularly apologize to you because I think by changing scenes, I probably took knocked you off kilter at least twice. But uh, thanks for working with me. Um, and and I did do just want to say again on the note about Trinity Seminary. If these kind of issues interest you or theological apologetic uh, issues related to evangelism. All of these issues, if these are interesting to you or counseling, um, we would love for you to visit us at Trinity Sem. That's Trinity S E M edu. And uh, on the right hand side of the screen, there's a request for more information. I would encourage you, even if you don't have any serious confidence that in the next uh, few months you're going to be interested in beginning a theological education, go ahead and fill that out and we'll just send you some information. And again, you don't need to be a professional minister. You can uh, be a person who just wants to go deeper in their relationship with the Lord and their knowledge of Him, as First Second uh, Peter encourages us to do in chapter 1. So listen, um, for those that are here, um, thank you so much. And at this point, I'm going to turn it back over to Chris and I'll present some questions uh, that he can read to, to, to you folks. Awesome. Thanks for that, Braxton. So what I'll do is I'll, you guys will see the question screen, um, but for the sake of people that are sort of listening more than they are watching, I'll read the question. I'll ask the person it's directed to, to limit their answer to maybe 90 seconds or so, if they can do so. And then I'm going to give the other participant a chance to follow up with 45 to 60 seconds of a response. Um, and then we'll move on to the next question and we'll go through it that way don't i'm not going to have a, a a strict timer so if you go over the time i just gave you that's okay uh but i really want to squeeze as many of our audience questions in as possible so the more brief you are the better that's my only encouragement to you so let's begin with this one and this is a question to both of you so what i'll do is since bruce closed last um i will pose this question to bruce and then give um Dave a chance to respond as well. The question is this, are you aware of baby cells being used to develop many other food, cosmetic, and other medical products? Um, and then as a follow-up to that specifically for Dave, are you ready to stand against those uses as well? So Bruce, the second question isn't so much for you, I think, but um, are you aware, have, have fetal cell lines like these been used to create a bunch of other kinds of products as well? And do you have any thoughts on them? Um, I'm not sure about food and cosmetics, but certainly medical products. Yeah, I am aware of that. Um, WI38, uh, Hayflip, the, I think he was the creator of that, claims 2 billion people have benefited from WI38 uh, through various vaccines, through various uh, medical products. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, 
fetal cell lines un unfortunately go very deep in scientific research and I think uh, I looked it up and there's something like a hundred thousand research papers have been published uh, using WI38. Um, I'm sure HEK293 there's probably tens of thousands of papers published on that as well so they are used very extensively I'm aware of that um, and we know the MMR, we know chickenpox, the rabies vaccine. I'm sure there's other vaccines as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure about uh, cosmetics. Uh, I, I know that uh, placental cells are used in cosmetics, but they're normally donated. So I don't, I'm not aware that there's a problem there, but certainly uh, it is a widespread problem in medical research. Dave, same question to you, but with that additional follow-up of if you are aware of other areas, not just in medicine, but also in food and cosmetics uh, or any other areas, if you're aware of those, um, would you take the same stance against benefiting from those as you do benefiting from these vaccines? Thank you. Yeah. So the only one that I'm aware of is the MMR vaccine, which is commonplace in the UK. Uh, which we did refuse for our daughters. So where I've known about it, I have taken the same stand. Uh, I, there may well be plenty of things I'm not aware of, um, either because the knowledge isn't particularly forthcoming or it's, it's, it's harder to find out where certain things come from or just uh, I, I, I'm not aware. So um, yes, where I have been aware, I've taken the same stand. I, again, I'm not aware. I couldn't name you any particular food or cosmetic that I might be uh, in contact with that's used the same thing. As you can probably tell, I've foregone cosmetics anyway, um, not on principle. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, where, where, where I'm um, aware of a, a similar thing, yes, same stand. All right. The next question um, is for, I guess I'll pose it to both of you again, um, this time in reverse order. Is there a biblical justification for benefiting from an abortion if enough time has passed? Um, and we'll turn to you, Dave, first for, for this one. Um, it's a good question. Obviously, the, the question, as precisely stated here, is not answered directly by the Bible. That the, the Bible doesn't mention abortion in that way. Um, but I can think of instances of evil committed even hundreds of years previously being remembered by the Lord and visited back upon the people who did evil. I'm thinking of certain people groups that opposed the Israelites as they came into the Promised Land. Uh, the Lord remembered that, and it was visited on them hundreds of years later. The Lord Jesus himself spoke about um, the evil done, you know, generations before he was speaking to, to those people in the first century AD. So I don't think there's any sense that because it happened a long time ago, it doesn't matter anymore or that it really changes much. Um, that's not to say that people are um, nowadays to be punished for the sins of their fathers. But I think it's just to say that God's perspective on time is different. And I don't think he considers uh, things, you know, that happened a long time ago substantially different necessarily in fact there's often a strong connection between um you know what's happened in the past and what's happening today and where we haven't i think that what i'm trying to focus on is have we repented as a nation as a church have we repented of the culture that led to that in this instance 40 years ago or are we still doing the same and of course my concern is we're still doing exactly the same uh, if anything at a greater level frequency and and i think that's the problem that we are um 
we're still doing it. Um, so if we'd stopped doing it, then I think there would be less of a connectivity between then and now. But if we if we're still doing it, we prove that we're continuing in that that heritage. All right, um, Bruce. I know that your uh, point had mostly to do with causal remoteness rather than temporal remoteness. So maybe just take the "if enough time has passed" part off of the question, um, or leave it there if you want. But can you think of a biblical justification for benefiting from an abortion, however indirect the biblical support might be? Um, <clears throat> offhand, no. I mean. I this uh, just uh, it, it kind of obviously is going to depend I mean, I mean time does tend to give some causal remoteness as well if you're generations away from that particular act um it, again it depends if uh my grandfather stole or managed to uh, uh obtain say a house that um for, through you know some kind of illegal means and then i inherited that house well then i think i would actually be quite causally close to that and there'd be some kind of obligation to recompense the person the house was stolen from or if not them their their descendants um but again if again if i was not the person who committed the original act and didn't benefit in that kind of way i mean there's no way of for a fetus that was aborted there's not really any way of compensating that fetus there's we we can't do anything for 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 them that person at all uh so yeah i don't again i, d I don't see that there's much we can do about it and um uh what am i trying to say here it's uh I don't. I don't see it as much of a problem because of that causal remoteness. Uh, I mean, we all have these problems to an extent. Um, my house here in Australia is built on land that was basically stolen from a First Peoples tribe hundreds, probably 150 years ago. They don't exist anymore. Uh, that land can't be given back to them. They can't be compensated. And so I'm. Um, I guess I'm left with not being able to do anything about that. Although I think there is, you know, uh, on my part, I have some obligation towards uh, First Peoples in Australia to promote their welfare because uh, there there are various issues in this country. I know in the United States as well, you probably have the same problem with uh, some of your native peoples whose land has been stolen and who have experience genocide and so on so there are obligations there but i don't yeah i hope that kind of sheds a little bit of light on that all right uh the next question i think is a two-parter and braxton's going to put the first part up now we'll ask that and then we'll move on to the second one um but this question is for bruce specifically andrew ireland asks uh, Bruce mentioned that perhaps the Christian workers in the pharmacy industry or pharmaceuticals industry, sorry, should maybe have spoken out sooner against this practice and that might have changed things. Um, 
Braxton, is there the, the second? Yeah, okay. So, Bruce, do you not think that the same question should be asked of the church and every Christian? In other words, by not speaking out and saying no to evil, we are complicit with the use of, of, of aborted fetal cells. Uh, what are your thoughts on that question? Well, I do, I do think if Christians had spoken out earlier, there's a possibility that uh, we wouldn't be in this situation because um, there, there are alternatives. I don't know how good the alternatives are. Um, someone who's perhaps more experienced with cell lines could, could tell me that. I mean, the benefit of uh, HEK 293 is it's easily available. And I think uh, pharma companies were working with the view that uh, speed was essential in producing these vaccines. So perhaps that was a factor. Uh, it might have been that these vaccines would be delayed by some months if these particular cell line, this, the cell line HUK293 wasn't used. Um, should the same question be asked of every church, of the church and every Christian by not speaking out? Um, well, again, we're not directly involved in the production of the vaccine. I think we can still speak out and still uh, ethically take the vaccine uh, without sending that message. So uh, I, I don't think we are really being, we are being complicit with evil by taking that vaccine. So uh, I hope that answers okay. the question. Thanks. And, and Dave, take 45, 60 seconds if you'd like to follow up on that or you can just wait for the next question up to you. Sure, yes, I was actually gonna mention that one myself because I, I think we, we can't really criticize Christians in the pharma industry for not speaking up if we are not speaking up ourselves. I mean, it, it, in a sense, it's harder for them to do so. There's more at stake for them. They could lose their job and so on. Um, but if they haven't got the backing of us consumers behind them, if we're not, if we're not clamoring for an ethical vaccine, then they haven't got the backing um, to also clamor, they're not. They haven't got that kind of consumer pressure to bring to bear to say, "Look, people are wanting this." So, yes, I do. I do. I do believe that um, the same charge would come to all Christians and the church if we showed ourselves only willing to take ethical vaccines. Then that strengthens our brothers and sisters in the industry to also join that um, call for ethical vaccines, and together we could make a much stronger statement. All right. Thank you. All right, Braxton uh, put up the next question, and that is, would throwing the cell line away be ethical? Now, that's that's interesting. Um, I'll pose this one to you first, Dave, and then let Bruce chime in afterwards. We've got this cell line um, that originated from the fetal tissue of aborted fetuses. Um, would it then, given what you've argued, um, do you think it might be ethical to just throw that cell line away altogether? What are your thoughts on that? It's a good question. I haven't quite thought about it before. I think if I was to choose between that and just ending the baby genocide and ending organ harvesting, I'd choose the latter. That's the main thing is to end that. And if that were ended, I personally would have much less of a problem with the cell line. Because although it had bad origins, if the injustice is finished, then what's the issue? We're not perpetuating ongoing evil. Um, but in the absence of the ending of the organ, of organ harvesting and the genocide would it be ethical to throw this away i think yes i think um i'm not saying that's necessarily the i haven't thought it through that that may not be the most effective way of ending the genocide and the organ harvesting but i can imagine it might be 
because that's a very strong statement to say we're not going to keep just depending on this because it's here we're not going to keep normalizing the use of human babies as medical um, resources and as we've already said there, there are other ways of making the vaccine but as long as this remains the easiest one and it is easy because these these this cell line by all accounts is very easy to work with it behaves very well for you as a medical researcher it multiplies very nicely as long as it remains the line of least resistance, people are going to keep going to it. And every time they do so, my argument is they continue to normalize the use of fetal tissue in medical research. So, yes, I think it, I think it could be um, ethical to throw it away and to insist on using ethical sources. There's always got to be a cost. You know, with social reform, there has to be a cost. You can't wait till there's no cost and then change because then nothing will ever change. We have to be prepared to make sacrifices to, for things to cost more, for things to take longer, things to be lower quality. Uh, otherwise, if quality and speed always rule the day, guess what, ethics comes last. So yes, I think it could be ethical to throw it away. Bruce, same question to you. Uh, I think I largely agree with Dave there. Um, I mean, it would be preferable not to use this cell line and um, it would be better in the current circumstances if it didn't exist, if we had an alternative that wasn't uh, ethically tainted. Um, West, we're in this situation where abortion is legal though and it, an organ harvesting does happen. Um, so yeah, I, again, as, as I've said a few times, I, I don't think utilizing the cell line is an endorsement of that. I, I doubt whether, I mean, perhaps it is normalized. I doubt whether most people even see any particular connection between the two. Um, perhaps that itself is an example of how normalized use of uh, fetal cell lines are. And, and, and that's, that's not a good thing, but uh, I just see abortion and the, the current situation with abortion and organ harvesting is just an, an overwhelming evil that we need to be directly combating. And I don't, I just don't see that these fetal cell lines that originated a long time ago and a long way away from us are really that important in the fight against abortion. Okay, um, this next question is from Ms. Mutola. If it's possible to ethically produce the COVID vaccine um, using any other method or ingredients, why are we using fetal cells and uh, or, or cell lines from fetal tissue? We'll start with you again, Bruce. I assume, I think Dave mentioned that, it's because it's the easiest way to do it. Um, as Dave said, HUK293 is widely used in medical research. It's easy to work with. It replicates and responds in ways that we're, that's, that are well studied. So it was probably the quickest way to get these vaccines. So I expect with the pressure of time and uh, I mean, it's been enormous pressure on these uh, pharma companies to come up with a vaccine. Um, a lot of money going to the research. It's probably, I'm assuming there's commercial competitiveness as well. Um, but I, I, I hope it's the case that the main motivation was to save lives. Uh, yeah, it was the easiest way to do it. Um, if someone knows 
more about fetal cell lines and other cell lines, it would be interesting to know whether there were viable alternatives that could have been used that wouldn't have an impact on the development time. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. Any thoughts from you, Dave? None really. In addition to that, that's that's my understanding. It's just the easiest thing to work with. Okay. Next question is from Kevin O'Connor, um, and I'll pose this one to you first, Dave. To what extent must one, in order to not participate in evil, kind of like the evil we've been talking about? So he thinks of easy examples like child labor and climate change. In order to avoid being complicit in those things, it seems that one would have to practically be a hermit. So Dave, your thoughts on this question, then I'll turn back to Bruce. Yeah, thank you. There are some key differences between the, the kind of injustice we've been speaking about and almost any other injustice you can think of. So um, the, the injustice of the baby genocide and organ harvesting is different because it's widely accepted and governments allow it. They often pay for it. And almost every country in the world, uh, not every, but almost every, killing babies in the womb is legal. And all over the world, I don't know how many countries, but organ harvesting is also very common. And it's generally accepted, indeed it's celebrated. Abortion is celebrated as uh, autonomy, re reproductive justice, a woman's rights and so on, a choice, it's actually celebrated. And organ harvesting is, is celebrated. They don't tend to use that language, but they'd rather say, you know, we've got this tissue, we've got these replicating cells, we have an established cell line, it's saving millions of lives. So the great difference here is the, the sort of standing that these injustices enjoy worldwide, which is they're accepted. Whereas everyone already agrees that, for example, child labor is wrong. And although it persists, sadly, the direction of travel in many ways is the opposite. People generally condemn it. There are efforts to try and make things more ethical. I'm sure there's a long way still to go. But there's no one saying child labor is a woman's right or, you know, child labor is, is 21st century justice. People know it's wrong. There's already efforts going in that direction. So. The real um, difference here is we're against the grain and we have to be because this is an accepted injustice. As much as the slave trade was in the 18th century, people celebrated it. There was no problem with it. It, it took people to stand up and say, hang on, this isn't right and put energy into that. Okay, same question to you, Bruce. Uh, I think, I mean, Kevin is right. It is, it, it is difficult, these issues. There are so many of them and... Uh, that's, I guess, one thing about the internet is it's so much easier to learn about various injustices that are going on uh, a part of our consumption cycle. Um, yeah, child labor for me and uh, in the United Kingdom, but um, a lot of the products we obtain uh, from places where child labor is, from, from my definition anyway, is essentially legal and uh, we seem to prefer getting our products cheaper because uh, they're made in countries that can utilize slave labor. And, you know, we sometimes we just don't care to find out about it. Um, I think Dave's not quite right on the organ harvesting. Um, maybe researchers celebrate it, but I think organ harvesting from aborted fetuses largely goes on in the shadows. And I think if the general public were a bit more aware of what goes on there, I'm not sure they would approve of that at all. Uh, I think a lot of people would be horrified that uh, that happens. Uh, 
it's gradually starting to get better known. But um, yeah, I, I'm just not totally convinced that it's it's celebrated, except perhaps among people who are directly benefiting the researchers. Uh, there, there, there are other issues like this. Um, medical trials, generally, a lot of the, the medicines we benefit from, uh, people, listeners may not be aware, but a lot of pharmaceutical companies deliberately run clinical trials in developing countries because regulations are far laxer. And so volunteers can be recruited for experiments and be compensated and compensated well in terms of their, their earnings. And these trials wouldn't be legal in, in Western countries. So we, we actually benefit from unethical research that's going on now for all sorts of things. And it's, it's difficult. This, there, there are so many things, so many injustices going on. It's a bit hard to know uh, what we can do. And <laughs> sometimes you do think, well, maybe I should be a hermit and become self-sufficient and not involve myself in this world because it is so tainted in so many areas. Uh, I guess that's the reality of a fallen world. And we have to, as our conscience dictates, we have to take, take action that we think uh, that we should. We're going to go for about 10 more minutes, if as long as my uh, participants don't object. Um, but before I go to the next question, I do just want to follow up and say one thing in response to the idea that, sure, there may be widespread acceptance of abortion, but maybe not widespread lay acceptance of organ harvesting. I'll just point out for whatever it's worth, however little it might be worth, that, um, you know, a few years ago when... Um, when uh, reporters surreptitiously got into abortion clinics and filmed them harvesting uh, parts of babies uh, and then released that to the public, the, the public in general seemed pretty much along the same kinds of lines as are opposed to abortion. In other words, it didn't strike me anyway that people who are fine with abortion but uh, – when they watched those videos were like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this was happening. They seem to be perfectly fine with it, too. And so I personally, for whatever it's worth, am not convinced that if the public had a better knowledge of the fact that this organ harvesting was going on, that they would be opposed to it. Unfortunately, I think that a great percentage of the population might be perfectly fine with it. However, I'm speculating, so I'll leave it at that. Um, Braxton, go ahead and put the next question up. This is from Invictus X, and I'll pose this to Bruce first. Is it, uh, or yeah, is it morally permissible to use a fetus that was already killed for a different reason? I mean, I guess this is what we're talking about now, isn't it? I mean, that's that's the the whole thing about cell lines is uh, these fetuses weren't killed for the purposes of creating cell lines they were killed because their mothers didn't want the baby for whatever reason so um that that, that was the case there uh, i think dave uh said that uh in some cases the babies were killed in ways that were make made made them more amenable to uh use in scientific research i don't know too much about that um if that's the case even amongst people who find abortion uh, acceptable, that seems to be an additional immorality uh, because I don't I don't know that uh, any mother who is uh, abortion is an incredibly serious thing to do. I don't think most people probably don't do it very lightly. And if they were told that 
their baby is going to be killed in a particular way because it would be more useful for research, but it would cause their child a lot of pain. I don't think many parents would go along with that. I, I, I don't know, um, but I suspect that might be the case that uh, most people would want the abortion over with as quick as possible and not uh, not done in a particular way just so that they could be used in research. But um, I'm open to being corrected on that. Um, so my, my argument is that with causal remoteness, yes, it can be uh, acceptable. It's regrettable. It's not something that we should encourage, but I think we can benefit from from such an act as an abortion that creates a cell line, provided that we are remote enough from that. Dave, your your follow up thoughts. Well, I'd say um, it's it's basically impossible um, to use a fetus that was already killed for a different reason, sort of without any connection at all to the organ harvesting, because uh, in order to harvest the organs, th these organs need to be fresh. There basically needs to be cooperation between the abortionist and the organ harvester if they're not the same person. So I would just say that, yeah, this this question is based on a, a, a mistaken understanding of how this works. It's not as though... Uh, someone opportunistically haps upon a fetus that's already killed and then thinks, oh, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll take their liver. By then it would be too late. So there's always cooperation and, and pre-planning going on here, as evidenced in every case of cell line that we have or organ harvesting, other kinds of organ harvesting that we actually know the details of. So there is always um, a close connection and it always has an impact on the way the, the, the fetus is killed. All right, thanks for that. I think we've probably got time for maybe two more questions. Um, Sarah Marshall asks, and I'm assuming this isn't the Sarah Marshall from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, uh, little movie joke for movie nerds like me. Sarah Marshall asks, do you guys see the vaccine as a type of precursor to the mark? I'm assuming the mark of the beast. Um, I'm going to hold my thoughts to myself on this one, much as I'd like to comment on it. Uh, but Dave, why don't you start first, and then I'll let Bruce say a word or two as well. Okay, I'll, I'll tread cautiously here. Um, I would like to just point out um, perhaps some questions even, observations. Um, if we believe, uh, whether, whether literal, whether it's just one mark or, or there are several, if we believe in precursors, whatever, whatever our specific understanding of revelation, if we believe uh, that Satan is the ruler of this world, um, do we not think he's going to use, for example, governments and, and organizations, big industries, in order to carry out his purposes? I think we've got to be awake to the fact that the devil will use um, real-life things and real-life people and organizations and events to bring about his agenda. So I think, I think we shouldn't rule it out sort of totally, as if that's an absurd idea. Certainly here in the UK, the moment you start talking about the mark of the beast, you're you're the kind of number one anti-vax lunatic. You know, that's, that's, that's how people interpret it over here. But I want to say, let's not throw the idea out of the, out of the park um, straight away, because uh, if we believe this stuff's going to happen, then we ought to be on the lookout for it. Um, I think there are things that, we, that should cause concern. The great pressure that's being brought to bear on people to, to take this. Um, when, and we're not talking about safety today, but, but the long-term effects of the vaccine are still an unknown quantity. Um, whether or not we're going to be able to participate in everyday life, 
and even buy and sell things without it. There's a real possibility. It's being debated um, right now in, in governments across the world. Um, so I think there are, there are causes for concern. And I think Christians ought to be very alert, very awake, and, and see that there are at least similarities. Whether it's the mark or the precursor of the mark, I don't think I can answer that question. But I think I can say that there are um, warning signs of the kind of thing we should be looking out for. And uh, the scriptures, I think, I think most would agree, most Christians would agree that between now and the end, things get worse, and the the, the ruler of the air um, gets more powerful. Things go for, get the, the evil increases, and we need to be more and more on our guard. And it will come through seemingly innocent means. Of course, it will. That's 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 the whole satanic ruse. So I, I'm not really going to action head on, but I am going to say. Let's not throw it out, and let's let's be alert and and look out for the kinds of things that we we can expect. Some of our post millennialist viewers may be ripping their hair out at the uh, claim that we all believe that it's going to get worse and worse until Christ returns. But I'm not a post millennialist, so uh, they I'll let them rip their own hair out. Uh, Bruce, same question to you. Do you see any connection?